0: You know, it's um, such a privilege for us to come together each week, united in Christ, whether we're here in person or you're joining us online, because Paul has shown us, as we've been studying all of this letter to the church in Ephesus, how important the church is and the role that it plays in God's cosmic plan that he set in place before the foundation of the world to unite all things in Christ. His body, the church. And that's not the building, that's the people, the church. And so we gather, just like the early church did, like the Acts 2 church we studied two weeks ago, because we want to encourage each other. We want to be a church that's devoted to the fellowship. One of them, right, the fellowship. And hopefully this morning everyone had a chance to come for the Take 30. It was a great turnout. In fact, I can still see some chocolate on a few people's faces. But that's what we got to be devoted to. And that's, of course, running over the next couple of weeks, so we hope that you'll get here at 10 o'clock going forward and join us for the fellowship. Of course, the second thing we learned was the breaking of bread, and we do that often as a church. And then, of course, the study of Scripture, which we're doing right now, and then the prayers. The prayers. I love how Luke writes about that, the prayers. They're absolutely vital to all that we do as a church because we need God's help to do all that he's called us to do. Last week, we took a look at what you see up here in the blue text. And today, we're gonna focus on the orange text. And that becomes basically the first half of the first of three petitions that Paul makes. So let's go ahead and dig in. First, we can't help but notice how Paul makes reference once again to God's glory. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, Paul can't seem to teach anything without returning to this issue of God's glory. He's absolutely obsessed with it. Look at some of the phrases about God's glory that he's used already that we've studied in this letter. Spiritual blessings, glorious grace, riches of his grace, to the praise of his glory, riches of his glorious inheritance, immeasurable greatness of his power, his great might, rich in mercy, great love, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us paul wants us to know that everything starts and everything ends right here and that's with god's glory meaning everything was created for god's glory and from god's glory he sustains all things and that's why we refer to this graphic so often in our sermons that's why we even post it on the wall over there Because God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is sovereign, meaning He is in absolute control of everything. He's all present, all powerful, all knowing, and He is good. He's the very definition of love, perfectly holy, the author of truth. Whatever He says happens. Back at creation, he just spoke things into existence. He said, let there be light, and there's light. And that light travels at 299,792,458 meters per second. And you know why? Because God said so. Now, some of you have said, hey, you know, you use that line a lot. You talk about this slide way too much. You kind of sound like a broken record. But here's the thing. We actually can't speak about this enough, and neither can Paul, it seems, because everything is about God's glory. Everything we see in all of our lives, we don't often notice it, but it actually reveals God's glory. I think it wouldn't be a bad thing for us to take some time this week and maybe meditate a little bit about whether we observe God's glory the way we should and whether we speak about it enough in our everyday, ordinary lives. Because when we take time to look across his creation, we can't help but see his glory on display absolutely everywhere. Now, a few weeks back, we showed a video that started with a woman lying on the ground. And the camera kinda left the woman and headed off into outer space, the far reaches, as far as at least the human eye has been able to see. And that was just a mere fraction of God's glory. And then the camera came back down back through all the galaxies and went into her eyeball. And we saw the same magnificent perfection as the video captured how God created our bodies to be composed of these meticulously designed cells and DNA. And hopefully that helped us appreciate God's glory in its vastness and in the minute details of a proton and a neutron. And that's again just a mere fraction of his glory, his unsearchable, indescribable, uncontainable riches that sustain us day by day. So like Paul, we must never grow tired of marveling at the riches of God's glory, but especially in our prayers. So it's according to the riches of his glory that Paul prays, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's a pretty remarkable petition. How often do we pray like that? So let's start by making sure that we have a firm grasp on what Paul means when he says inner being. This phrase has Greek origins, and it was used to differentiate the exterior man from the interior of a person. And we typically use the word body to refer to to our outer shell, kind of like our bones and our muscles, the shape of our figure, our appearance. And we use words like mind or heart soul, to refer to that inner man, where the thoughts, our motivations, and our aspirations reside. So, this is the context from which Paul prays as he employs this phrase, inner being. Now, the Greeks also grouped the inner being into three main components that they believed governed human behavior. First, they identified our ability to reason. That's how a person discerns right from wrong. The inner self attempts to assess every action that we do. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And we tend to evaluate that on all different types of dimensions. Sometimes it's about morality. Sometimes it's about safety. Other times about love and care for others. And then sometimes it's just about utility or satisfaction. Second, there's the conscience. The desire then to actually do what it is we know to be the right thing. First, you have to know what's right, and then there's a part of your inner being that must desire to do it. And that's what we mean when we say a person has a conscience. They have a desire to do the right thing. But even though you may know what is right, and you may even have the desire to do it, there's this third component that comes into play, and that's our will. We must then resolve to do what's right. And that's where, as humans, we tend to struggle the most. For example the bible tells us that sex outside of marriage is wrong so if we believe the bible to be true then our reasoning kicks in there and we know that that's not the right thing to do now for most of us our consciences then desire to do the right thing so we'd ideally like to wait until we're officially married but worldly pressures temptations And the desires of the flesh, Paul tells us, all three of those kind of come together, and they're so strong that we lack the will to hold out. So the thing that we really need in order for us to do that right thing is resolve. We need a strong will. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons why Paul prays here for strength in our inner being. And that's so that we can discern, we can desire and that we can actually resolve to do what's right, to pursue truth as we carry out our commission. But there's another potential reason for why Paul prays for inner strength. Notice how Paul does not pray for the situation to change. He doesn't pray for temptations and sin that torments the church to go away. Rather, he prays in step with the way God created us, And that is to resist temptation and sin. Think for just a second about how God designed the outer man, our bodies, to resist things like germs. They're everywhere, aren't they? They're all around us. Some of us who are germaphobes, we see them everywhere. Of course, the unwashed masses who are always trying to get up close and talk to you close and shake your hand and give you a hug, they learned about this too during COVID. And you can basically take two approaches to this. You can try to kill all the germs around you. You can have Lysol everywhere you go. And we saw an awful lot of that during the pandemic. But here's the thing, those chemicals, they actually can do more harm than they do good. And then they create these things called superbugs, which are resistant to antibiotics. So that's why the experts tell us that the second approach is actually far more effective. And that's to build up our resistance or as Paul says strengthen with power because that's actually how God designed us if we eat well if we exercise we get our sleep we stay hydrated we take our vitamins it strengthens our bodies to build up this resistance it's almost like those germs can just bounce off of us because the reality is that our bodies are in a constant battle against germs and diseases, whether we realize it or not. And there are far too many of us who've tried to kill them all with a can of Lysol. But here's the thing. We can't really do that because every time we actually get exposed to one, it helps our body build this natural resistance against it. And that's the principle that vaccines operate on. They help our bodies build up a resistance by introducing just a little bit of those nasty bugs into our system so that we can fight them. And this is a far more effective strategy than to try to kill all the germs around us. But now let's take this same idea and apply it to the inner man. Let's replace the adverse forces of germs that fight against our bodies with the adverse forces of sin that war against our inner being. Just like the germs, it's simply not possible to remove temptation and sin from assaulting our inner beings. Now, it doesn't mean that we give in to sin and just accept it as a fact of life. In fact, Paul writes, by no means, in multiple places throughout the New Testament. And that's why, as a church, we say each week that it is okay to not be okay, because the reality is we're in a constant battle against sin and temptation. But we always follow that up with, but none of us wanna stay in that not okay place. We wanna hate our sin as much as God does, and so we must build up a resistance to it by God strengthening us with power through his spirit in our inner being. But there's another reason we need strength in our inner being. It's because the outer man is wasting away. Paul writes all about it in his letter to the church in Corinth. He writes, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. These old clay pots, as Paul calls them, they're in a near constant decline. The outer man wasting away. But our inner man is being renewed day by day. And that's the part of us that's eternal. That's the part that lives forever. So those physical sufferings that break down our bodies that we wish we didn't have to deal with, they actually help strengthen the inner man. They actually have an eternal purpose. And that's why Paul doesn't pray to have the challenges and suffering removed from the church. Rather, he prays that the saints who comprise the church will have strength to persevere through them so that our inner beings, the eternal component of our existence, is strengthened. And I trust I'm not alone in my prayers when I find myself praying far too often to remove circumstances in my life. Perhaps we should all pray like Paul. Pray less that we have the suffering and the challenges of our lives removed and pray instead that we would have strength equal to whatever challenges, whatever suffering happens to come our way. But there's yet another reason that we need to be strengthened. And it has to do with how God's rescue plan works. As we talked many times, we're all born on that wide, dark path leading to eternal destruction, up there at point number one. But God, he rescues his adopted children by convicting them of their sin and calling them to humble repentance, justifying them, making them right by that red drop of blood Delivering them from the penalty of their sin. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're born again into a new life in Christ. Our inner man is made new. We're placed on that narrow, well lighted path, number two, that you see up there, and we receive the Holy Spirit. And it's here at point number two where Paul's prayer for strength in our inner being comes into play. Remember, he is praying for the saints. The believers, they're already at number two. So this is not a prayer for conversion. This is a prayer for sanctification. And sanctification happens when the Holy Spirit strengthens our inner being so that we progress along the path, so that we move from number two to number three. Sanctification is the process by which God makes a believer more Christ-like. It's a deliverance from the power of sin. Sin will still afflict us, but it's a deliverance from the power, a process where believers continually grow in their righteousness. And it's accomplished by the Holy Spirit's power and his presence, which is why Paul prays for us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. So Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, the saints. Who are faithful in Christ Jesus, the saints who are at point number two up there, to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit to progress along that narrow, well lighted path. Because that path is fraught with challenges and suffering. And Paul knows it all too well. He knows we need strength with power to advance along it. Because progressing in the kingdom can't be done by human strength, it can only be done by God's strength. But there's still another reason that we need to be strengthened. If you think about it, our inner beings govern absolutely every aspect of our lives. It has been said by many a theologian, we are not bodies with souls, we are souls with bodies. Our bodies are that physical housing through which we experience the world. They're gifts from God for sure but our inner being governs how we use our bodies, either in obedience or in rebellion to him. And perhaps that's why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4 that we're to guard our hearts, our inner being, above all else, because it is the wellspring of life. It governs our response to what happens in our everyday, ordinary lives. And while our bodies will ultimately return to dust, our souls to live for eternity. So we must guard them by asking, seeking, and knocking for God to strengthen our inner being, just like Paul does, according to the riches of God's glory. We have access to power from the creator and sustainer of the universe within us. And that is why Cammie keeps reminding us over and over that it's truly mind blowing when we really study all that Paul is teaching us. But there's at least one more reason we need to be strengthened. God's greatness and his glory requires it. Think about it. We are mere mortals, riddled in our sin. The best of men are merely men at best. We need strength in order to receive all that God desires to grant us out of the riches of his glory. And to see this, I want to illustrate it two ways. First, as a prisoner of war. You know, oftentimes when they're um, finally saved, they've been suffering severe starvation. And you simply can't prepare a steak dinner the night of their rescue, their bodies can't handle it. It'll make them severely ill, it may even kill them. They need to be strengthened first to receive the food. Another way to see this is you can't feed a child a steak either. They'll probably choke on it. But even if they don't, their bodies can't digest it. They must learn to first chew. Their digestive system is strengthened as they mature before they can enjoy a good steak. And the same goes with the inner man. We need to be strengthened with power through God's Spirit in our inner being first. We need to be made mature in our faith so we might actually be able to receive the riches of his glory that we need as a church. As humans, we're feeble and we're frail. We need strength for the kingdom tasks to which God calls all of us. So let's not be a church that just prays for the physical well-being of these old clay pots. Let's also be a church that prays for the inner being for souls to be strengthened with power through God's Spirit so that we might grow along that sanctification path you see up there maturing in Christ as members of his body the church let's pray for this reason for the sake of your church We bow our knees before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of your glory, you may grant the members of Four Mile Church to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That all of us members of Four Mile Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of you, God. Now to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So for our response time today, we're going to continue on with the prayers. Just like last week, we're going to take about five minutes. You'll see the timer up here behind us. Um, This is a great time for you to use those books that we handed out, write out some of those prayers for inner strength, and then take some time to pray for them, not just now, but also throughout the week to come.